Welcome to the Creative Process Podcast, a discussion with artists about what goes on behind the scenes when they're creating their work. I'm your host, Dave Hopper. On this episode, I speak with photographer Scott Alario. Scott is an artist living and working in Providence, Rhode Island. His practice uses photography and is a collaboration with his wife, Marguerite Keys, and children, Elska and Marco. The family works together to stage, perform, and edit the images. His work has been discussed in Collector Daily, Time Lightbox, Vice.com, American Photograph, and The New Yorker, among other publications. Scott, thank you for joining me on the Creative Process Podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You were recommended by our last guest, Keith Yarling. Um, How do you guys know each other? Um, Keith and I went to graduate school together at Rhode Island School of Design, RISD. So we've spoken to a couple of people that have been there, I think. Um, Laura Swanson and Jordan Baumgarten, who we've also had on, have been there. So I guess we're getting a lot of the former graduates there. It's a good school. Oh, cool. Nice, yeah. <laughs> So I have to say, um, Keith, when he was recommending you at the end of his episode, said that he thought you were really finding your voice in photographing your family. And I want to lead into my first question with that, which is, where does your creative process start? Okay, where does my creative process start? That that is a good question. So um, currently I am photographing my family, and um, it kind of grew out of um, both necessity and um, in that. I wanted to be able to spend time with my family and also maintain my art practice. Um, but then also um, it's subject matter that's near and dear to me and subject matter that I love and that I feel comfortable with. Um, so it seemed to kind of just flow really naturally um, from when I began photographing my partner, Marguerite. So um, I'm photographing her and our two children now. Did she want to be photographed at the beginning? Um, yeah, I think she was really open to it. So we met in 2002, um, and I kind of used photography as a way to get to know her in some way. So mm-hmm. would kind of invite her to sit for a portrait or, yeah, let me take a picture kind of um, kind of conversation. So that that kind of, yeah, was a real icebreaker for us. And she was always open to being photographed. Because that can be tough because there's a lot of spouses and family members that don't like being photographed at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting. I'm, I'm really lucky then in that sense because I haven't run into, run into that too, too much. And then when you get into children, if you start photographing them early, I mean, they just fall in line with it pretty quickly, I would assume. Exactly, yeah. So what was yeah. the first project that you started when you started photographing your family? Um, well, so... I, it's interesting because while I was at undergrad, um, I studied at MassArt in Boston, Massachusetts mm-hmm. College of Art, and um, there, a lot of my professors were making work related to their family, and I saw the work of Emmett Gowan early on, um, and kind of fell in love with those photographs, and so I actually was making images of Marguerite for um, my senior thesis work in undergrad in 2006. Um, but I guess I kind of didn't really formulate it into the project that it is more or less now until um, my daughter was born, Elska, and she's eight years old now. So when she was born, I started to um, use my camera to kind of document these banal everyday moments with her, and then also occasionally we invent some kind of you know, like playful narrative moments. Um, and she, she'd be part of those as she got older. And when um, So I guess this project, yeah, 2000, 2008. 
when um, your daughter was born, um, my son was born six and a half months ago, so I'm going through this right now. Um, wow, amazing. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, where as soon as they're born, you feel this um, need to create something or just to do something or take pictures or just a weird urge that comes over you. Did you feel that same way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's Yeah, that's really interesting that you bring that up because I definitely felt that urge. Yeah, I guess creative energy or, you, yeah, there's like maybe a nesting urge or an urge, <laughs> yeah, to make something. So is that where part of the project was born out of? Yes, definitely. Did you start taking pictures right away or was this in her life and with your son Marco? Did you do the same kind of thing? Um, well, yeah, it's kind of funny. I sort of, I've had this like interesting relationship with photography as art because I'm also a musician and um, play music. And so I've kind of, I kind of step away from photography and then come back to it. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess I maybe the past eight years has been the most consistent I've been um, thinking and making photographs. Um, but yeah, so right, right off the bat, I'd say maybe it didn't really occur to me to take pictures um, of my daughter, Elska. Um, I was in touch with a good friend of mine named Adam Katzis from my undergrad, and he was encouraging me to um, make work at the time. And we were doing this print trade where every month we would trade an 8x10 contact print. So we were both shooting these big 8x10 view cameras mm -hmm. um, and making contact prints just in our homes or home darkrooms kind of situation. And um, yeah, we would trade a contact print every month. And so for sort of a uh, lack of better ideas, I remade one of my favorite Emmett Gowan photos of his wife and his son. And I made, I remade that image of Marguerite and our daughter and that kind of got the ball rolling. So yeah, kind of opened the floodgates for me. What causes you to step away from photography from time to time? Is there a certain block that you reach that you need to get around by taking a break or you just feel like you're burnt out or what what's caused you to step away yeah great question um i guess so i'm also an educator and so i teach photography and i i'm constantly looking at photographs and um yeah kind of invested in the history of photography so i think maybe if anything i step away when i feel like over oversaturated with the medium or I'm kind of overwhelmed by it. Um, and then oftentimes, like, I'll, I'll kind of doubt myself. Just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little neurotic and anxious. So <laughs> from time to time, I'll, I'll, I'll feel like, oh, I need, I need a different subject matter. I need to go out of my home or, like, out into the world and make photographs. And, and I find that that's really when I sort of start to slow down. And then when I just kind of give myself a break and accept except my fate of um, <laughs> having having this, you know, subject right here in my home. And and once I'm okay with that, that's kind of when I start making work. That's it's good. usually the thing that kind of takes me away from photography or the thing that creates the block is, is when I feel like I need to be doing something else. But that's kind of self-imposed. Yeah. And then you have yeah. your work surrounding you at all times and your family. <laughs> right. You can't get away too far. Yeah, exactly. How has um, teaching photography informed how your own photography? Um, well, it's kind of it's kind of essential in some way. Um, I find that teaching keeps me connected to um, kind of young energy and and keeps me yeah, like I said, looking at photographs, and thinking about them, and thinking about how to challenge the medium and and push 
push it. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I learn there. Yeah. Maybe it's cliche to say as a teacher that you learn more from your students than you feel like you're teaching them. But I feel <laughs> as though I'm constantly learning from my students. Um, and, and sometimes learning together. So, um, I was teaching out at Alfred University a couple of years ago, and I was teaching an alternative process class, which is usually usually regards like um, uh, historical antique photographic techniques. Mm-hmm. But I tried to bring a, a bit of a contemporary element, and we were creating color images from black and white negatives and color filters. Um, and so a lot of that work I was doing with my students, I was kind of figuring it out as we went along, and, and that kind of led into a whole body of work for me. I saw in the. Are you talking about um, the ecstatic consumption project? Yes. I yes. saw in your artist statement there that you were talking a lot about the history of photography, which you've mentioned here too. So where did this? Yes. The process that you use for this. Can you explain that to us and where you found it? Yeah, sure. So um, the way that I found out about that process was I was looking through archival images. I was, I think, when I was in grad school, I was taking a course on using an image archive um, mm-hmm. and using sort of archival content to create new works of art. And I was looking at the Library of Congress website, and there's um, kind of, an, it's an epic trove of content, and it's free to utilize. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the work in that um, on that site is kind of full resolution, like huge files, so they can make beautiful prints from that stuff. And I found on that site a collection that's actually kind of maybe well well known at this point and well written about, but it's um, there were these tricolor images of Russia from the early 1900s. And the maker of those is, I'm not going to pronounce his name properly, <laughs> but his last name is Gorsky. And yeah, Gorsky was, um, yeah, Sergei Prokudin Gorsky. And he was making. Um, black and white images that he'd shoot through red, green, and blue filters to filter out certain, those um, opposite wavelengths of light. And then he'd project those black and white images through color filters again, and the three images would be superimposed to create a full color image. And um, it's described in detail on the Library of Congress website. And so what made you fall in love with this and want to give it a shot? Well, the thing that I really loved about his images are that they're from early 1900s, but they look very contemporary because I think we associate the history of photography in the past with black and white and Mm -hmm. sepia-toned images. So to see a full-color image from the past kind of is very, it was very exciting to me and sort of surprising. And then um, the other thing that I really liked about it is that when there's movement between the three exposures that are made to make the full-color scene, you get these really awesome uh, kind of distorted off-register color marks. And those show up in a lot of the Gorsky images. Um, And, yeah, so, for example, moving water or moving clouds or moving people in the background, they kind of register as out-of-sync strange colors. So it's almost like three images in one. Exactly. And you said you nailed this in the image of your daughter watching, um, what cartoon was it? She was watching My Little Pony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then she turns, yeah. she has like her, she's moving during each image. So you captured like her whole dance that she was doing to the cartoon. Exactly. 
Was that like the one image that you felt portrayed this technique the best? Yeah. Um, good question. I Let's see. I think so. I don't know. Yeah, maybe that actually. So, yeah, that image does function really well as a way to describe um, how the process works. But I think that I, yeah, while the, while the process really led me, I think I was also kind of making decisions um, that were, you know, based outside of the process. So I was thinking about other things, like um, kind of making formal compositions, so wanting the image to be balanced compositionally and um, having the color palette align. And I was thinking about um, movement in our day, and I was photographing moving coupled light a bit. So, yeah, there was a few, um, a few other kind of threads that I was following, but I think that that image definitely illustrates the, the way the process works the best. Yeah. So when you put all the, you don't see the final image until you put all three, ne- is it negatives or are you doing digital? I started, um, I started the project on film, 8x10 film, and then I switched to a digital camera. Yeah, so you don't see yeah, until yeah. either the original negative or the digital negative is all put on top of each other, correct? All three layers are put together? Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of, even with digital, it's still in kind of a old-timey way to process the film or the shots because right. it's sort of like waiting for the one-hour photo again. You have to put the photos on top of each other to actually see what you got. Exactly, yeah. And I think that's really, really important, and thanks for bringing that up because I think that um, that aspect of it is, is kind of what fueled me to be excited about it because I think if I can make an image that I can see immediately, um, there's something lacking there. I have more opportunity to kind of doubt myself or, or reject the image. But if there's this kind of um, process that takes some time, um, I kind of, I'm able to have some distance and then maybe look at the picture more objectively. So you talking about um, these scenes you have with your family that are, these are staged, they're not candids. Um, is this something that you've seen before that you want to restage for a photo or is this just ideas that you guys all have together? Um, let's see. So, um, there, it's a, it's a mix across the board. So there'll be images that I see, like moments that I see and, and, um, re-photograph. Actually, that's kind of how my process worked in the past shooting black and white film Mm -hmm. on on a big view camera. I would often see things and make notes and then restage those events. Um, but more recently it's, it's kind of become more collaborative as, as my daughter's gotten more involved and, more communicative and um, she she's quite a storyteller on her own so she would um, suggest ideas and then occasionally it's, it's more spontaneous like there's a an image of a fork that's got steam rolling off the tip of the fork mm-hmm. um, and the steam is kind of out of register color because it's moving during the three shots and that that image was just something that I saw um, sitting across the room and grabbed my camera so you never know when you're gonna see something or stage something it just kind of comes organically Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I should mention not to not to take us back in our conversation. <laughs> That's but, okay. Um, there's there's another fellow. If folks are curious about tricolor work, um, Frederick Eugene Ives is a U.S. inventor, um, and yeah, he maybe he was out out by you guys. He was somewhere in maybe New York State, and he was working with a similar process to the Gorski stuff around the same time. And did that technique take off or did it sort of die out after that because i i believe i heard about it barely at some point and during my 
being a photographer on the side. But yeah, it's not something that's common knowledge, I would say. Did it sort of die out after that? Yeah, it yeah, it's it was kind of counterintuitive when color film was invented. Yeah. Um maybe only a decade later. Gotcha. I guess that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've mentioned um doubting yourself a couple times already. Um I think that's a pretty common <laughs> thing among any artist. <laughs> um how do uh-huh. you combat that? Um <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that I have a foolproof solution, but I guess um, I guess actually the best advice I've heard was something along the lines of kind of just, just doing something that there's no kind of never a right time. You're never going to be ready or prepared so mm-hmm. to, to just kind of jump in the pool as it were. So I'd say that um, making, making prints for me helps a lot. So if I get my digital files into a physical form, I think that that helps with doubt because then the thing exists and it's physical and, it has its its own life in a way at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, doubt is doubt is pretty pretty often the case. I think I think I try to share with people and get feedback of people I trust. That I feel like artists have a kind of internal barometer, like a fan base in their mind of like their audience, their personal audience, like who they're making their work for. Yeah, whether it's um, you know, like a large audience, or it's, or it's your, your life partner, or your um, your mother, like whoever you're making your <laughs> art for. I think like um, trying to trying to satisfy your audience in some ways helps with doubt, or getting feedback too can help with doubt. Do you satisfy your family with these photos? Are they usually satisfied, or do they have comments? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I think I think it. I think they're excited about them typically. Occasionally, the process is frustrating. So if, if um, one of my young kids has to sit still for a while, I think that usually <laughs> is, is you know frustrating. And then once the once the whole shooting aspect is done, they're kind of over it and yeah, they're done yeah. with it. And then I'll show them the prints and be like, "Yeah, that's cool, like whatever." <laughs> and they're, <laughs> they're on to the next thing. But but I think it's exciting when I get to have exhibitions and um, for for my daughter, especially now she, when she gets to see the the work on a wall in a frame. I think. So how is it putting together this work for a show when it's obviously a lot of people have personal work, but it usually doesn't involve their immediate family. Um, so is it any different putting that work out there in a, on a wall in a frame? Um, I don't feel that way. I think, yeah, it's interesting. I'm a pretty shy person, I'd say, and, and kind of um, uh, private, but I don't feel like the images ever kind of invade our personal privacy and mm-hmm. they're all inventions more or less so i feel um yeah i feel like i don't find it difficult to kind of put them on the wall for a public audience um i've had a really awesome relationship with a gallery in new york city and um the gallery owner has just been incredibly helpful at sort of editing and reducing huge numbers of images down to um a smaller batch and I think something that she looks for is is kind of trying to find more universal threads in, in the content. Because that's what's going to connect with most people that are viewing it will see something that reminds them of their own family instead of just like someone shooting their family. This will sort of touch them on more of like a personal level. Yeah, I hope so, yeah. And then there's that thought that maybe the more sort of specific and personal 
you get as an artist, the kind of maybe more universal yeah. that you have potentially. I think I think that'll differ for different people, but for me as a young maker, I would look at Nan Golden's images and of her friends, her chosen family group, um, that were made in the seventies and eighties and actually still now. Um, and and I could connect with those folks that yeah, I obviously never met and that and it probably never would meet. But I still had a fairly strong emotional connection to her subjects. And even someone even like um Annie Leibovitz or something will put out a huge book that's nothing but personal photos when she has this huge right. trove of work. <laughs> and it's yeah. all this personal stuff that you can relate to that most people never see. Right, yeah. So how much do you shoot that doesn't make the projects with your family? Is there a bunch of stuff that just doesn't work or is it usually like Definitely. a hit rate that's pretty good or is there a lot of empty or just deleted um, frames? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, I... I have, yeah, my, my success rate, actually, my hit rate isn't so high percentage-wise. <laughs> I'd say um, in the single digits to 10% of the work makes it out out the gates and into the world. So, yeah, I, I make a lot of images. And I, I try a lot of different things and experiment with a lot of different things and have a lot of false starts. Um, but, but that, yeah, I don't know. I just, that's kind of part of it, I guess. And it's, it's funny to sort of let go of work or or to um, say bye to certain images that I really loved. And yeah. that's been a, a learning process for me. And then, um, but occasionally I'll try to figure out other venues for work that they don't get shown in an exhibition, like um, whether it's a book or some other avenue or um, recycled in some way. And there's a book you made for a project called Watch Sleepyhead in the Valley that is a collaboration. And I wanted to ask you about collaborating with with other artists and what brought you to start collaborating on projects? I feel like photography for me is a sort of shared shared experience anyway. Um, so collaboration kind of makes a lot of sense. And, and by shared experience, I mean um, both with my family, um, my partner who's an artist and very engaged in the making of the work, um, but also in the fact that when you make a photograph, you're sort of um, sharing responsibility with reality and life itself um, and time. So you're like clicking a shutter and making a frame, but but there's that sort of chance element that occurs that's natural. So so yeah, in some ways collaboration is is always part of the work I'm making. Um, and kind of as a way for me to be an educator, um, I would encourage collaboration through my students and then through myself, um, thinking about my studio having an open door um, so that students could both see my successes and failures and mm -hmm. kind of make sense of those. Um, but yeah, that book, which Sleepy Head in the Valley was a collaboration with a former student of mine, actually. And it's uh, poem and photographs, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually a bunch of photographs that didn't make it into an exhibition. Um, and they, yeah, I really liked them still. So I wanted to make sense of them. And I found a poem that the student had written and published in a zine of their own, and I was very excited about the way the poem could lend lend a vibe to the images. Has there any students ever started taking pictures of their family because they've seen your work? That's a good question. Um, I don't. I don't know. Maybe not that I've been <laughs> aware of so directly. <laughs> 
there is there's like a long history so i feel like if i if they did i wouldn't take credit for it i mean there's <laughs> like um yeah a long history of very awesome makers that turn their camera on their family well once you get uh, a kid or two you get stuck in the house a lot more than before so you got to do something with yourself exactly <laughs> yeah what are you yeah. working on right now so right now um I'm coming, so it was about a year and a, a couple months when I had the Ecstatic Consumption Show in New York in mm-hmm. April of last year. So it took me a minute to kind of get um, get back on the ground, and I experimented with a lot of different things. And I didn't want to sort of revisit the tricolor process again, and I didn't want to go back to multiple exposure black and white work. Um, so right now I'm um, photographing my son, Marco Moon, who we call Mooney, mm-hmm. um, and he's three and a half years old, and I'm kind of just looking at him specifically um, as opposed to the rest of the family, and I'm looking at him because he's sort of, he's at this kind of pre-gender age where um, he's, you know, figuring himself out and figuring the world out, and I'm, I'm very aware of um, kind of cultural projection on him as, um, as it is, you know, pretty kind of ubiquitous, like sort of the standard of boys being into cars and trucks and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. And I'm photographing him in sort of a more nuanced way when he's maybe showing personality that exists outside of that kind of stuff, if that makes any sense. And I'm getting really close this time with a, a macro lens that um, I can focus only a few inches away from him. Yeah. So I'm kind of up in his business <laughs> with, a, with a big lens um, and kind of trying to abstract as well as create formal, aesthetically interesting images. And is he, is he open to being photographed all the time? Um, not entirely, no. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, a, it's like a, a little bit of a game with us. Yeah. Well, that keeps it interesting, right? Yeah, exactly. And once they get to that age where they have some autonomy, they can say yes or no. As if they're a baby, they just sit there. <laughs> they have no chance. Yeah, definitely. I wanted to ask you quickly yeah. about... Um, your project night walking because those those are kind of humorous images of can you explain the uh, camera situation for us on that one yeah definitely so that series was made with a um a camera that's a digital camera that's designed to track animals um for hunters so Mm -hmm. it has a an infrared sensor so it only records infrared light and it has um an infrared flash on it as well and a motion sensor so when there's movement in front of the camera, it makes a picture, and it flashes an infrared flash. But yeah, it's for it's for deer, like seeing where deer are yeah. walking through the woods, and they're fairly inexpensive cameras, um, and they're yeah, it's a very kind of low megapixel count, so you can't make massive beautiful prints from them. But there's <laughs> something awesome about the strange quality of them too. But yeah, so I used it. I just set it up in our apartment that we were living in. And my daughter would have these frequent night waking uh, experiences, and she'd wake up at all all times of the night, and I was yeah. kind of just tracking that. It made, yeah, it made me laugh because I've just been through my son being up at all times of the night. <laughs> so I have to ask yeah. about, you brought up being a musician too, so I have to ask before we go, what instrument do you play? Um, I play guitar and some piano. And do you play in a yeah. band or just by yourself? I had. I played in a band with um, one of my best friends, Alex Summers, 
and he and I had a little music project together called Parachute. And we didn't we didn't do a whole lot. It was kind of a bedroom project, mm-hmm. um, but we're still close. And actually, a couple summers ago, we um, wrote some music together that's going to be a soundtrack to a film. Great. But, um, yeah. So I'm not sure when the film will be done, but it's by an awesome artist, also RISD photo grad student um, named Ramel Ross, who is making um, a sort of abstract poetic documentary about some kids from Alabama. Films can be in post-production for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this this is worth the wait. I, from what I've seen, it's incredible. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. So cool. my last question is, who should I speak to next? Whose creative process do you want to learn more about? Okay, cool. So the my suggestion would be to speak with um, an artist named Genesis Ganyard, who um, I actually went to undergrad at MassArt with. But I haven't kept in great touch with her, unfortunately. Um, but she's since gone to grad school at Yale, and she lives in Los Angeles. And she makes these really beautiful, um, I'd say, almost tableau self-portraits, mm-hmm. where she creates kind of epic sets, and there's costume, and <laughs> it's always about her, and it's about being a woman of color in sort of a non-normative standard of beauty body and challenging all of those ideas and yeah i'm really curious about her process and how she gets inspiration and how she sets those up and and just how they're affecting the kind of global discourse which is yeah the stuff it's talking about i think is very important stuff great well i'll get in touch i think that'll be an interesting interview thank you for the recommendation sure yeah yeah and thank you so much for being on this podcast i had a great time speaking with you Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, good luck with your little six-month-old. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> that was photographer Scott Alario. Find his work at scottalario.com. That's A-L-A-R-I-O. Thank you for listening to the Creative Process Podcast, a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Theme is Big Screen by Silent Partner. Please join me next time. In the meantime, have fun creating. <laughs>